Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. I want to read two verses. Uh, verse number one, and then I want to read verse number 11. I even don't know if I'll get through what I even have planned here uh, this evening, but I'm just going to, everybody say, take your time. Take your time. I even put in my notes certain ways along the way. Slow down. No, I'm joking. I didn't do that. <clears throat> I didn't do that. I've known people to do that, but I didn't do that. Revelation 13, verse number one. The Bible says, and I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Verse 11 of that same chapter. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. This is Revelation chapter 13. We are in part 12 and uh, this is simply called the beast and the false prophet the beast and the false prophet will you help me pray tonight father i come to you this evening and i'm thankful lord jesus for your people thankful lord for this opportunity to be in your house i'm grateful today god that you have allowed us lord another time to come together God, to worship, to praise, and magnify that heavenly name. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would help us, God, in this lesson tonight. God, that you would strengthen us and allow us, Lord, the strength, Lord Jesus, to do what is needed to be done, God, in this place. And you will give you the praise and the honor and the glory in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Again, you may be seated. This is going to be overkill but let's just be overkill here this evening. There are two beasts in Revelations chapter number 13. For now, I'll just call them beast one and beast number two. Amen. One comes out of the sea and the other comes from the earth, the scripture says. And so there are two beasts. Uh, to say that Revelation chapter 13 is important is somewhat of an understatement. Uh, whenever we understand these two, there's something we must understand concerning whenever it gets to the time when we get to this new world order system or, or idea or concept. And I'm just going to just draw some symbols here. And that is, there's going to be, that's my one world, okay? There's going to be one world, there'll be one, one economic system, all right? And then there will also be, and I'm just going to do this as a cross, uh, one religion or one religious system. And so whenever we come to that idea of a world government, a world economy, a world religion, these entities, that is these right here, these three entities, will be controlled either by beast number one or beast number two. Those three things will be either controlled by beast number one or beast number two in which these two beasts, according to the Scripture, and what I'm really giving here is somewhat of a su summary uh, of Revelation chapter number 13. These two beasts right here, number one and number two, out of the sea and out of 
the earth are empowered by the dragon. Empowered by the dragon. You'll remember back in Revelation, the last chapter, number 12, it told us there about mid-chapter who the dragon was. He is Satan. So both of these beasts are empowered by the dragon or empowered by Satan and they will, one or the other, have control over the world, the money, and the religious system. Now, you just have to just think about this just for a moment to realize it's going to be bad news for the world to understand one of these two individuals having control over these things and the power that they are empowered with comes from Satan or the devil. So we're not looking at uh, very, very hopeful times, all right? Also, in Revelation chapter number 13 is where we receive an introduction to what is called the image of the beast. We are also introduced in 13, the mark of the beast here. And the very mysterious number that has been with us for ages, the number 666. Or three hundred and three score, as the scripture says, and six. We are introduced to that right here in Revelation chapter number 13. And so as I just do a little summary here, we understand how important chapter number 13 is and why everybody, when they say they want to know about Revelation, really has to do with Revelation chapter number 13. The first beast that comes out of the sea will come to be the controller of the world government that we will come to know, or not we, but they that are still in existence will come to know. That world ruler, beast number one, is more notably called something that we all have looked at before, the Antichrist. Beast number one that is the world ruler who will also be controlling the world economy is beast number one, the one out of the sea that we know him to be called the Antichrist, plus several other things throughout the survey of Scripture he has been called. For instance, if we were to go back to Daniel, uh, the book of Daniel, we'll be going a lot back to Daniel tonight. This is where everything we did then is going to pay off a little bit here this evening, somewhat, amen. But he was spoken of in Daniel uh, chapter number 7 as also being the little horn. In chapter number 8, he's also spoken again as the little horn. He was spoken of as the king with a fierce countenance in the book of Daniel or the willful king in the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel chapter number 9 speaks of him as the prince that shall come. The prince that shall come alluding to the Antichrist. In 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, he is spoken of as the son of perdition. He is also spoken of as the man of sin or the mystery of iniquity. That wicked one he's spoken of in Thessalonians. But here in Revelation 13, he is spoken as the beast of the sea. Now the second beast that comes from the earth he is going to come and he is going to have control over the world religious system. The world's religious system, the second beast that comes from the earth, will have control over that. Not only will he have control over that, but beast number two is going to be very loyal to beast number one. 
Beast number two, the one who's going to have control over the religious system is going to be very loyal to the Antichrist, the one who has control over the government and the economic system. All right? Beast number two, we commonly see in other places in chapters in the book of Revelation. For instance, Revelation 16, Revelation 19, and Revelation 20. This individual is called in those chapters the false prophet. And so it seems very appropriate if you could say that it seems very appropriate that the false prophet will be over the world one world religious system being that he's the false prophet as it were and so there seems as you read revelation 13 a little bit of a overlapping a little bit of an overlapping in some of the abilities of the antichrist and the false prophet. And from here on out, I'll probably just refer to them as the Antichrist and the false prophet. There's an overlapping of abilities of these two. And some think, well, man, that seems kind of confusing that there, there can be a deception and wonders because we understand that is something that the Antichrist wonders and signs. But we also see that's something that the false prophet exercises in miracles and wonders and signs. You read in Revelation 13, and they think that that might seem a little funny, but it's not whenever you consider that both of these are empowered by the dragon, by Satan. They're empowered by the same spirit, and so it's no surprise that there would be an overlap, if you will, in their character or in their abilities. They're operating by the same spirit. Likewise, the same thing that it's not, it's not uh, peculiar, amen, that those that are born of the Spirit of God uh, speak in other tongues when they receive a spirit because they are operating by the same Spirit, the Spirit of God. So likewise, this false prophet and this Antichrist have some overlapping abilities because they are operating by the same Spirit. The Bible says in verse 2 that it's the dragon who gives the beast, that is this first beast, the Antichrist, his power and throne or seat and great authority, all right? And as a matter of fact, and received worship along with the beast. In other words, whenever people fall down to worship the Antichrist, they are in essence worshiping the power behind the Antichrist. That's how the Bible says that whenever they worship the Antichrist, that the, the dragon is worshiped because the dragon is the power behind the Antichrist. So to worship the Antichrist is to worship the power by which he operates. Amen. The dragon. And then the Bible also says in verse number 11 that his words or the dragon's words are spoken by the false prophet. We'll come to find out very soon in our study this false prophet that's spoken of in verse number 11. The Bible says he has horns as a lamb but he's really what we would, the old proverb or, or adage, he is really a wolf in sheep's clothing, so to speak. Because it looks maybe, you know, a lamb would appear very peaceable, very timid, very innocent. But whenever the lamb, as it were, like a lamb, the false prophet opens his mouth, it is the voice and the words of the dragon, amen, that he is using and that he is speaking. Amen. And so what we have here is one, the Antichrist, over the government, 
which that also includes the military, of course, the governing body and the military of that governing body, the economic systems of the world, all right? Both of these things, though, all these things are being supported, as it were, by the religious system. Again, there's that loyalty, the religious system of the world. So you're going to have a one-world government and a one-world economy and a one-world military that has the support, the endorsement of a one-world religious system, a one-world religious system. And so the false prophet uses his position of being over this religious system. He uses his position to support the Antichrist and to get everybody that is bought in to his religious system to support the Antichrist and in doing so then support his one government and support his one economic system because if you can have somebody that's in control of the majority of the world that has fallen under a religious system he has sway with all those people that whatever direction he turns that's where all the people turn because he's the ruler he's their leader and so if he's supporting the Antichrist and everything that he stands for, then likewise, everybody that's under him, it all trickles downhill from leadership, supports the Antichrist and that one government and that one money system as well. And so this is very common, folks. It's not uncommon. It's not uncommon throughout history that a unified people, whenever people wanted uh, in their kingdoms to have a unified front or a unified people, that they would truly be unified, or might I even use the word uniform, uh, when there was a marriage between their politics and their religion. This has been proven time and time again in history. The, the main way to get a unified kingdom is cause there to be a marriage between the government, the politics, and the religion. For instance, a couple biblical accounts for you, if you will. In Numbers 22 and 23, there is a king of the Moabites by the name of Balak. Balak is powerful politically. Uh, he has a strong military system with the Moabites, all right? But he needed something to put him over the edge in the Moabite region and with the people. What he needed was a religious aspect to his kingdom. And so that's where you see him call to the prophet Balaam to come alongside him to have the religious support that would go along with his government and his military that was already well established. Something else that you may be more familiar with in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter number 3, remember Nebuchadnezzar tried to get all the people and the lands that he had conquered. Remember Nebuchadnezzar over the Babylonian Empire? He tries to get all the people and the lands that he conquered. He wanted them. He had power, good government, good military. But he, the way that he could even unify his people more is if he could get all these land he conquered and all the people he conquered to succumb to the same God, little g. OD and religious system and so a common thread throughout the ch the, that chapter is the concept of worship in Daniel chapter number three 
Uh, He had conquered several areas, several lands. He added them to his empire. He wanted to join them. He wanted to consolidate them. He could through the government. He could through his military system. But he knew that they wouldn't be closely net and meshed unless they could also come together under their religious system. So I can force them by the government. I can make laws and force them to that. I can use military and force them. But I got somehow to be able to uh, trick them or somehow in an underway manner get them under the same religious system to consolidate them. So he thought the way that I can do this is that I'll get them, I'll use religion or I'll use worship as a tool to do that with. And so that is the same type of effect that we will see in the last days, in the latter days, in that last week of Daniel, there will be an effort exerted in the last days of them trying to bring the political government side of the world together with a religious system because when they get together, whenever nations come together with politics and religion, then they are truly a force to be reckoned with. Amen. Am I saying amen? Another example. I know. Am I going slow enough? Everybody all right? Yeah, some of you saying, man, he's just talking real slow tonight. That's okay. We don't do this every Wednesday except for the next five weeks. No. And I'm also taking my time, folks, because I realize it's going to be two weeks before we come back to this. Okay? I don't want to go and just have to reach all the way back to two weeks and start over. Amen. Brother Fred said, right, we still got 52 weeks ahead of us. Wait, don't. <laughs> I sense that in his voice. <clears throat> Back in Revelation 2 and 3, the letters to the seven churches, you remember that? A long time ago, we did a study on them as it is now. The church of Smyrna in Revelation 2, if you remember one thing that was against the church of Smyrna is because they lived in an area that there was a center for Caesar worship. I'm not talking about the salad. I'm talking about the the controller ruler, Caesar worship. And so the rise and the function then of Caesar worship is very similar to the world religious system in the last days Uh, because the religious system in Smyrna in its day was to do nothing more. It was used as a test to people's political loyalty. You hear me? The religious system in Smyrna was used to test the people concerning their political loyalty. Because what happened was this, and I've taught this before, but I'll teach it again. Rome during that time, Smyrna and these churches were during the time of the empire of Rome. Rome desired a way again. Here it is. They wanted to unify their vast empire that spread all over the place. And the Roman Empire was huge. If you remember from our Daniel study, you know, Medo-Persia took over Babylon and then Greece took over Medo-Persia and then Rome took over. And each time they're gaining territory and they're gaining land so they're getting larger and they're getting bigger. So the Roman Empire is quite large, has all kinds of states, all kinds of provinces over the known world. And at that time, they had no particular one religion, all right, that could be universalized, but there was a spirit about Rome. 
people were adopted into the Roman Empire and as a result of it, they found peace that they didn't have before. They found a, a settleness. Uh, they could conduct their business. They could have land. They could provide for their families. Now, since all of this was known as the Roman Empire, they could travel across country lines without much heartache or headache, amen, even on the sea. So they owed a lot to Rome because of bringing this peace and this liberty to them. And so there was a spirit of Rome, if you will, that the people grabbed hold of. Amen. And after a while, uh, although they didn't have some symbol out there that they could bow down to, the people come to worship uh, the spirit of Rome that gave them this liberty and this peace. So they didn't have a visible object that they could bow down to. And so the people started always to worship whoever the current emperor was. He's the one that is in rule. He's the one that's standing there that has brought this about, so to speak. And so we'll worship him because there's no one else that houses the spirit of Rome like the ruler of Rome. And so they would start worshiping the current emperor because they thought that man embodies the spirit of rome and it's a visible thing that we can there's we can touch that we can look to that we can bow to that and so they directed their worship there uh when this first started some of the emperors were a little uneasy about this we're not real comfortable about it but i guarantee you, you let somebody worship you for one day and you'll feel a little uneasy if you let it continue you'll start growing comfortable with it Amen. And so the emperor began to grow a little comfortable with it. As a matter of fact, old Nero even thought of himself as a god. He got so much of it. Man, I am a god. You know, this, this, man, this is what it's all about. And so where it started is just a voluntary act of gratitude. Rome capitalized upon it. Where it started out as a voluntary act, Rome capitalized upon, and a century or so later from its start made it mandatory that they do this type of worship in so much that once a year every Roman citizen had to come before the emperor burn a pinch of incense on the altar to the godhead of whoever the Caesar or the emperor was at that time and when he had done so he received some type of certificate to guarantee that he had performed his religious duty so again this act of worship or religion was nothing more but to underscore that they, would be, that they would be loyal to the political side of the empire. And so every Roman citizen had to make this sacrifice and receive this certificate. Again, it was a test of their political loyalty. Anybody who did not sacrifice were considered by the Roman empire an outlaw. All right? So they were using their religion to support their government. Somebody here. They were using the religious side to support, undergird, uh, keep continuing, if you will, their government. Well, folks, in Revelation 13, later in verses 15 through 17, we will see that the false prophet, the ruler of the religious world, look now, the Bible says he will make or cause, the word make there is also cause, he will make or cause the people to worship the image of the beast or the image of the Antichrist, who's doing that? The false prophet, the religious side, are causing the people to worship the Antichrist and worship the image of the Antichrist. And look in your Bibles, it is the false prophet or the religious side that will cause or make the people take a mark or his name or the number 
of his name upon their right hand or their forehead. The Antichrist isn't doing that. The false prophet, the religious side of the system will be propagating all that for the false, the false prophet is the PR man for the Antichrist. If we say it like that, maybe someone grasps that a little bit better. The false prophet, is the, he's the public relations, he's the promoter of the Antichrist. Say, so you're going to worship him. The religious system says this. You're going to take his mark. Well, what is that mark going to do? We understand if anybody has not the mark or the, or his, the mark of his name or, or the number of his name, that they will not be able to buy or sell. What are we talking about then? We're talking about the economic side of the Antichrist. But the religious system is helping all that out, isn't it? Because he's going to cause them to take the mark in order to buy or sell. So he's PRing. You understand then how there's this marriage between the political side and the religious side. Uh, one is scratching the other one's back really hard. Amen. One is scratching the other's back really hard. And so if they don't take the mark, the false prophet, the religious side says you'll die. Mm -hmm. Now that's a pretty stiff ultimatum. You either take it, you either align with this one government, and this one economic system, or you're no longer living. But that's being pushed by the religious system. I tell you what, I'm feeling the Holy Ghost come down in this slow talk speech right here. Amen. And that's the reason why on this side, folks, and for the Jews in particular, when he spoke to the Israelites, he told them to beware that in the last days, he said, particularly, listen, now, and I'll probably touch on this again, but he said in Matthew 24, he said, there will be false Christ, antichrist, and false prophets. Now, there will be many, but these are the two big daddies of the false Christ and the false prophets. You've got to watch them. Why? Because they're going to suck you into a system that will damn your soul for eternal hell. Amen. If we can go back to Revelations 13, verses 1 and 2. <laughs> I'm a third of the way where through what I had planned to get through. The Bible says, if I can read the scripture again, because I want to read verse 2 along with it, okay? And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy, and the beast, this Antichrist that we're speaking of, the first beast, which I saw, was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. If I could flip this and we might go just a little bit further here this evening. So the first beast that comes out of the sea, and I'm taking my time here, we'll call him as we know him, Antichrist, all right? There are a few distinguishing characteristics that are given to us there in the Scripture. All right, if I may list just a few of them. Number one is, this thing has seven heads. Anybody else want to throw out something else they notice? Ten horns. Thank you. <laughs> Anybody else got something else they can describe here? Uh-huh, ten crowns. So that means the crowns are upon what? 
right. I'll just put it over here to the side with crowns. And just to denote a difference, whenever there was the description of the dragon in Revelation 12, he was described as seven heads with ten horns. But remember, the crowns were upon the heads rather than upon the crowns. And we'll talk about that perhaps here a little later before we leave this place. What the, 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 we'll look at this. Upon the heads, did I miss per... Huh? Did I do something wrong? Huh? What's wrong? Did I spell crowns wrong? What's going on? I heard voices. You all going to have to stop talking. You go distract me. Huh? Oh, sorry. Yeah, he's going to put crowns upon his horns. All right. It's all right. Well, that's fine. What are you talking about? Involve me in the conversation. My goodness. I mean, the next time I said, you know, Moses said, repent and be baptized, somebody, correct me, wouldn't want to get a... get started in a rut there and preach false doctrine. Amen. Upon the heads, the name of blasphemy. And I'm trying to make sure I get everything spelled. Anything else? Somebody notice anything else going on in verse number two? Pardon me? I'll just put feet, bear. Anything else? Mouth, lion. Uh huh. Like, leopard. Anybody else? Right, the dragon gave him uh, that, that authority, the power, seat, and authority from the dragon. Uh, and I, I could put that up there, but we'll stop right there. Whenever we talk, and we'll leave that up there. Whenever we talk about that John says that he stood upon the sand shore of the sea, and out of the sea he saw this beast rise. Uh, the word sea there, it could be a couple different things. It could be that the sea he's referring to is the Mediterranean Sea over in the Middle East, that actual area of the Mediterranean Sea, that he sees this, uh, I'll call it a system person, all right, because this Antichrist right here is not just a king, all right, but it is also a kingdom. Because anywhere you have a king, you have a kingdom. And anywhere there's a kingdom, there's a king. And so the representation, what we have here, is not just a person, but a system. All right? A system as well. Well, this water that he sees come out of, also, the sea may be uh, symbolic. It may be the mass of humanity that this Antichrist, amen, comes out of. Because in other places in the book of Revelation, where you see it talks about many waters, uh, many waters represent just that, peoples. For instance, Revelation chapter 17 and verse number 1, all right? And what's happening in Revelation 17, verse number 1, we see a great harlot or a whore, as the Bible describes her. She's setting up on a beast that has seven heads and ten horns. And we'll be dabbling a little bit in that tonight, but not too much. We've got to leave something for when we get to Revelation chapter 17. All right? But the Bible says the last phrase, if you'll note, it says... 
uh, of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. So it's describing her as sitting upon many waters. Then in verse 15, it gives us an interpretation, if you will, of that. The waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And so there's many instances where the sea or great waters, which would, uh, uh, many waters would uh, allure to a sea, uh, represent just the mass of humanity. And again, so seven heads we've seen in Revelation 12. Ten horns we've seen in Revelation 12. It was description of the dragon or of Satan. In essence, folks, since Satan or the dragon is the one that empowers the Antichrist mm -hmm, or empowers this system, the beast will be nothing more in certain terms but a personification of Satan in human form. What he was described of in chapter 12 is materialized in human form, as it were, in chapter 13 upon the earth. And again, the crowns, let's get this right, ladies, see, because I'm going to mention this more than once, so I'm glad we had this conversation. The crowns in chapter 12 was upon his heads, but in chapter 13 the crowns were upon... His horns were upon his horns rather than upon his head. Now, in John's vision, in John's vision, he is, he is looking at the activity of the Antichrist, this system, this beast, as being current in his vision. In his vision, this is something that's current. The Antichrist is there. It's taking place. It's happening. All right? Therefore, historically, historically, before this time in John's vision, all the heads had been crowned at one time. They were kingdoms and had rulers that served in some capacity over each of those kingdoms. Historically, they all had been crowned at one time. They had served their function. They had served their time through the history of humanity and functioned as an empire with its rulers leading up to the time that John in Revelation 13 is now seeing in his vision and what he's now witnessing. The seven were past rulers. This is John in his vision. From John's vantage point, Revelation 12, those two seven heads were past rulers, past kingdoms that had served. But in Revelation 13, he's looking at the current time in his vision. So the crowns or the authority and the power now are just on the ten horns. If you remember, that corresponds with Daniel 2, the ten toes of the image, the ten confederate kings. From amongst will come the Antichrist or the little horn. Now you all start to understand why it's talking slow. Amen. The crowns are upon the ten horns because that depicts in John's vision who's currently in control in John's vision. Who's in control and rule that at the time that John is seeing this vision. I'm not saying in John's life, but in John's vision. You've got to distinguish the two. Because in John's life right now, the Roman Empire is in control. It's about A.D. 96, whenever all this is written, the Roman Empire is in control. All right, so that would be incorrect. But in his vision that he's seeing right now, he's seeing this ten confederate kingdom, these ten horns with crowns on their heads in power and in control. Can someone say amen? 
we're going to wear the hinges out on this thing just in one service. I'm erasing this because I need more space. I tried to get me an app tonight where I could draw on my iPad and show up on the screen, and it told me my iPad was too old. Imagine that as a first generationer, and I lost my life, I guess. As first generation, this is the first iPad they ever made, and I didn't upgrade when everybody else did. So say a prayer for me and send an offering, and we'll get it taken care of. That's <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> I am joking, absolutely. Somewhat. No. <laughs> oh, man. I didn't bring a hank of these. Can I wipe my head off on somebody's sleep? Shoo! All right, you're going to love my drawing here tonight. He's going to look like a gingerbread man, but that's okay. This is John. All right, it's festive. It's for the holidays. This is my other gingerbread man. This is Daniel. Daniel, look at here. He's looking forward. John, look at here. He's looking backward. Okay? That's a reason from Daniel's perspective of Daniel chapter number 7. Notice, the four beasts he saw came out of the sea as well. The four beasts he saw came out of the sea. As Daniel seed them from his perspective, as things yet to come, it was first the lion, then... It was the bear. Then it was the leopard. Then, put that in there. Then it was what we'll call, I used to call the DT beast, the dreadful, terrible beast that comes with ten horns. Remember, from Daniel's perspective, when in Daniel's time, he, Nebuchadnezzar took Daniel. Remember? The, 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 because I'm going to do this just for rehearsal, okay, because people have forgot. This is the empire, oops, spelled wrong, Babylon. This is the empire of Medo-Persia. This is the empire, sorry, I have come out here, Grecian. This is Rome and revived Rome the revived Rome comes where the ten horns are alright so from Daniel's perspective when Daniel was taken I'm, I might be eclipsing you all sorry whenever Daniel was taken Babylon was in control and so whenever Nebuchadnezzar has his vision in Daniel 2 of his image it even from the head of gold to the arms and, and the, the chest of, 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 of brass and then to the, the or of silver that is, and to the thighs of, of, of brass and then to the legs of iron down to the feet that's iron and clay. Those were Babylon and Medo-Persia and Greece and Rome and then the revived Roman Empire. Empire. And so from Daniel's perspective, he's seeing them as they're going to come. The lion the bear, the leopard, the dreadful, terrible beast. All of that, though, has happened, except for the dreadful, ter terrible. But John, let's put this in parentheses here, is in a vision. 
And in his vision, the ten horn kingdom is already there, right? We've already solidified that. And so whenever John looks back at that, he sees, looking back, he sees a body of a leopard. He sees bare feet. <laughs> that's not B-A-R-E. That's funny. He sees... <laughs> Somebody put some shoes on that, that beast. My goodness. <laughs> oh, man. He sees it. <laughs> we might just have closed down right here. He says he sees the feet of a bear. And he sees the mouth of a lion. So based up on the perspective where these two men are, that's the reason why it's described in such of a way. Daniel's looking forward. He sees the four beasts coming out of the sea. Remember, it's a lion with, with wings as an eagle, a bear that's raised up on one side with three ribs in its mouth. Uh, it's the leopard with four heads and four wings of a fowl. And then it's the dreadful, terrible beast that has ten horns. Let me read it for you. Daniel 7, verse number 7. The Bible says, After this I saw... In the night vision this is Daniel behold a fourth beast sees the fourth beast dreadful and terrible and there's someone I want you to notice about this as we go along I'll try to point it out the fourth beast that Daniel saw he said it's dreadful and terrible strong exceedingly and I'm just pointing this out it seems interesting to me it had great iron teeth plainly makes note of its teeth a, a, a prominent a prominent feature for a lion is its teeth it devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it a prominent feature of a bear is its feet now he's not saying it's the 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 the, the, the teeth of a lion or or the feet of a bear but i'm just asking you to think and it was diverse from all the beast which it was that were before it. We don't have any other description concerning the dreadful, terrible beast. We don't have any other description except it's dreadful and terrible and some of these other descriptions. Amen. And that it had ten horns. We understand that, but we have no other descriptions. I'm just, and this, this is just, it could be, it may not be. But is it possible that the dreadful, terrible beast that, that Daniel saw that he didn't give a whole lot of description to, but he did speak about its teeth and about its feet. Is it possible that there were already some, some composition of these other kingdoms that was included in the dreadful, terrible beast that Daniel saw? What I'm saying is, is it possible in the dreadful, terrible beast and the ten horns that he saw that he already seen what John was going to see of a mouth of a lion? Feet of a bear, the body of a leopard. Is it possible? I don't know. Maybe the description is very vague, and he's diverse. Absolutely, that would you can't get any more diverse than that. Diverse from all the other beasts. Could it be that Revelation just goes in a little bit more detail from the vagueness of what Daniel saw in Daniel chapter number 7? Amen. Because we know this. With each kingdom, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, with each kingdom, they were absorbed by the kingdom that succeeded them. And so there are certain attributes and characteristics 
of Babylon that was in Medo-Persia. Mm-hmm. And so there were certain characteristics of Babylon and Medo-Persia that were in Greece. And so there were certain characteristics of Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece that were in Rome and then revived Rome because they are taking over these kingdoms, these lands, and so they're absorbing a certain amount of their characteristics, each one. So each kingdom, to a certain degree, becomes a composite of the kingdom that was before it. Amen. There's certain things there. Amen. I won't hold you much longer. I see some of you got smoke rolling out of your ears. You're just doing twice the time. And I'm talking slow. The fourth beast in Daniel... The dreadful, terrible beast. The fourth beast in Daniel, the dreadful, terrible beast, represented, along with the ten horns more particularly. See, when we talk about the dreadful, terrible beast, we talk about Rome, but the fact of the ten horns indicates a revived Rome. Okay? Just as when we talked about the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had, all right, the legs were of iron. That was Rome. But then it goes on to describe the feet and toes that were part iron and part clay. The material iron is still there in the feet. Listen to me. But in Daniel 2, it doesn't describe the feet and toes as a separate kingdom, but almost as a continuation of the kingdom prior to it, the fourth kingdom of Rome. Because we learned that Rome fell apart. Amen? In essence, it kind of went off the scene, but it came back. So we're just talking about a revised Rome. And so the dreadful, terrible beast, in essence, is Rome, but the ten horns denotes that reviving or that revising of the old Roman Empire. That ten horn or ten king confederacy of kingdoms, which among those horns, those ten in Daniel 7, the Bible says among those ten came up the little horn, which is the Antichrist. Because we know during the time frame where there's these ten kingdoms or ten kings, we looked at the European market, we've looked at the United Nations that take the whole world and has divided it into ten kingdoms as it were, or as it is, really, has divided into ten kingdoms, that during the time when there is this ten, there will be, at the right time, the Antichrist that will come among them. The Scripture said in Daniel 7, he will take away three, he will defeat three, and so there will only be the seven that are left, he then being the eighth. All right? That's a lot of wordage, but it'll get there, verbiage, it'll get there again in verse number 17. <clears throat> so here we go. Politically, I'm, I'm coming to a close. I am. I really, I'll be mindful of you. Okay. Unless we have another bare feet moment, and we might savor that. Politically, the beast out of the sea or the Antichrist is a system or kingdom. And I, I want to get that etched in your head if we can come back here. Politically, politically, beast number one is a kingdom or a system. Politically. Okay? Like, politically. 
I can't spell tonight. You know what I'm talking about. Say what? Did I still get that wrong? Anyway, politically, it is a system or a kingdom. You try to talk and write everything I'm talking about, and you'll spell cat wrong. (laughs) Personally, though, as a person, as a king, it's the Antichrist, a king and a person, no doubt with evil intentions and evil designs. Again, folks, you do not have a kingdom without a king. And so whenever we start talking about Revelation 13, the beast out of the sea, he is not just representing a kingdom, he's representing the Antichrist, a king. He's not just representing a world government and a world economic system, he's representing the Antichrist that we have read about time and time again. Now, note, Please note, let me just go just a little further, all right? Just a, just a little further. Daniel 7, verse number 17. Daniel 7, verse number 17. The Bible says, these great beasts, the four beasts that came out of the sea that Daniel saw, these great beasts, which are four, Daniel said those four beasts, those four beasts are four Kings. So there we go. Beasts are kings. That's great. Verse number 23, though. He says, it's referring to one of these beasts now. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom. Now he just told us these four beasts are four kings, but he plainly then says the fourth beast, or the beast, is a kingdom. It goes to show you that the beast is both, the beasts are both a king and a kingdom all right and so that's what we're looking at then when we get here to revelation chapter number 13 so each beast represents a king and a kingdom and many times throughout history uh the ruler of a kingdom many times becomes becomes the emblem for the kingdom the representation of the whole kingdom for instance whenever david was king whenever david was king he was an emblem for the whole nation of Israel. That was his kingdom. But whenever you've seen David, you've seen, in essence, an emblem of the whole nation of Israel. And so I'm, I'm trying to really find a good stopping spot if you're wondering what I'm trying to do. <laughs> Someone said, just <"Yes>, stop. <clears throat> so the beast of the sea, the beast of the sea, the Antichrist, Represents then, all right, represents, yeah, we'll get blue in there. Represents the Antichrist, that ain't very good. And the revived Roman Empire represents both of those things of the last days. I want to read just one more verse of Scripture, Sister McGee, and I'll bring this, I'll bring this, I can't go, I'll bring this to a close. This has really been fun. I'm going to have to talk slow more often. Hosea 13. Hosea 13. All you got to start, if you think I've been talking about half as slow as I normally do, then you go start getting some two-hour sermons. And, uh, Hosea. <laughs> I got a lot to say in a short time. That's the reason why I usually talk fast. Hosea 13, verse 6. Look at this. 
Look at the scripture here. God is speaking to Israel. God is speaking to Israel. He says, according to their pasture, so were they filled. They were filled and their heart was exalted. Therefore have they, he's speaking of Israel, have forgotten me, God. I, therefore I, God, look at this, note this, will be unto them as a lion, as a leopard. By the way will I observe them. I will meet them as a bear. Let me check my checklist here, okay? Lion, bear, leopard. I, I, I will meet them as a bear that is bereaved of her whelps, and I will rend the call of their heart and will devour them like a lion. Well, we'll give him two check marks. The wild beast. Hmm. This is, this is just me imposing here. Dreadful, terrible. The wild beast shall tear them. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. I will be thy king. Where is any other that may save thee in all thy cities? And thy judges of whom thou saidest, Give me a king and a prince. He's referring to the Old Testament when the, all the other nations had kings and they said, give us a king. Prophet wasn't good enough for them as Samuel was. So they got Saul as their first king. And he says, I gave thee a king, Saul, in mine anger, and I took him away in my wrath. Now look at this. God says, Israel, Israel, you've forgotten me. That is the story, folks that we're speaking about all throughout Scripture and still yet today. Israel, in many episodes, has forgotten God. And so he says, I'll come and I'll be a lion to you. And I'll be a bear to you. And I'll be a leopard to you. And I'll be a wild beast to you. He says, I will be your king. There is coming a day. After all this last week is done, the Antichrist and the false prophet thrown in the lake of fire, that Christ will come back and he will be their king. Now you say, well, Brother McGee, that was the Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece, all this lion, bear, and, and, and leopard stuff. Yes, but folks, I want you to know through these captivities and through these kingdoms, the Bible says the Lord raises them up and he puts them down. All of this was strictly in line with the will and the purpose of God. God's will was being exercised through Babylon doing what she did and Medo-Persia and Greece and Rome. God's will was being exercised in all those successive kingdoms that rose and fell. He was, in a certain sense, coming to them through the lion, through the bear, and through the leopard. Amen. Hallelujah. He said through all of this, I've been coming to you. How? Because through all of this I've been trying to give course correction I've been trying to make I'm talking fast now I'm trying to make I'm getting excited I'm trying to make all of this seem very deplorable to you I'm trying you to get you to get uncomfortable with this I'm trying you to see that idols and false gods is not the way to go I will be your king I will be the majesty of all majesty I'll be the power I'll 
I'll have a throne. I'll sit on the throne. I'll do away with the lion, the bear, the leopard, and everything else. Just let me be your king. I'll take care of the Antichrist and the false prophet. Just let me be your king. That is the beckoning call of the Savior from then, even now still declaring to the nation of Israel and the Jews and for us now still yet in the church age, just let me be your king and don't forget me. Why did he put all those plans that I'm going to be on my time and that's great. Amen. Why did he put all those plans and purpose in the New Testament with his disciples concerning communion? Uh Uh-huh. With the blood and his body, the meat. Because he told us in Corinthians, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance. I don't want you to forget who your king is. I don't want you to... mm, I do not want you to forget who your king is. Well, now I'm feeling this good and you're telling me to go home. I see how you are. That's all right. Come back next week and the week after that. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.